You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Felony Podcast in gorgeous Portland, Oregon, broadcasting live from my living room and Nate's living room, as always, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's more to it's more back to normal weather here in Portland today. I, last weekend that was incredible, right? Well, oh man, of- that sunshine! I thought <laughs> summer had actually arrived, but the Pacific Northwest has other ideas, apparently. Yeah, it was a nice little sneak preview of three months from now, though. I was really excited about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> as always, the Phony Inc. podcast in the society that houses the largest inmate population on Earth. Anything that can't be done to curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable, and that's what we intend to accomplish here today and every day when we broadcast the Phone Aid Podcast. Um, you know, as always, joining us, joining me, is my amazing co-host, Meg Thibodeau. How are you doing today, Meg? Oh, I'm pretty good, Dick. Hanging in here at home, <laughs> doing the quarantine thing. Yeah, one day at a time. <laughs> the longer we go, the more similarities I'm seeing to actually, like, Sitting down and doing some a little jail time. I mean, yeah, definitely is. There's a, a yeah. It's getting a little. It's getting a little fatiguing. At the same time, I gotta say, I still am really enjoying the pause. It is. It's impressive to me the fever pitch pace at which we were living before this happened. I really still feel optimistic that we may be able to create a new normal that is a little bit slower and hopefully a whole lot kinder. Yeah, to me, it's kind of one of those be careful what you wish for scenarios because I'll be working, you know, 80, 90-hour weeks easily all the time. And I always just like, oh, man, you know, I secretly wish I could just chill out and watch a movie and, and relax at the house. And now it's like, oh, it's like an episode of Twilight Zone. We're like, okay, like, let's just flip it completely <laughs> upside down. <laughs> now you get to do that for years yeah forever <laughs> it does feel like the fabric of time I mean what I have tried to explain so many times about the difference in the texture of time inside prison versus outside of prison I feel like time moves in such a different rhythm and I'm having that experience during quarantine of just kind of the except without the regimented schedule that prison provided. So it is interesting the different way that time moves. It's like some days, some weeks just fly by and sometimes you just feel like you're traveling through molasses. It's really interesting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, on that note, let's do a little current events real quick and we'll get to our uh, guest today. Um, I guess I'll start it off by saying a good friend of mine, um, Local, I mean, well, famous rap artist E40. Uh, he's from the Bay Area. If you guys uh, are familiar with him, recently made news for donating a thousand gallons of hand sanitizer to uh, Lompoc and San Quentin prisons in California. Um, which obviously, any any anything that can help people in prison right now is just. God, I love hearing some good news during COVID about something happening with the inmates. I mean, they're saying there's something like, I mean, they're not saying 100%, 
that they're saying that basically prisons are completely infected with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost the exact same as being on a cruise ship forever, you know, like it, inevitably all the staff, all the people there are going to catch it. And, um, you know, I have questions though. I mean, I'm really curious how you deliver a thousand pounds of alcohol bait or a thousand gallons of alcohol based product inside of a prison. Knowing what yeah. we know about the ingenuity of it, of, of prisoners, that seems like an interesting allowance. Yeah, I'm going to try to look into that and see maybe what uh, we or our audience might be able to do to kind of just provide some kind of supplements, some kind of preventative things, you know, whether it be face masks or whatever it is to Oregon prisons and uh, jails. I think that would be really be intriguing to figure out. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of I curious mean, what the protocol is. There's some kind of assumption that, of course, being a government-run or you know a government-run arena, that they would have the products that they need. And not only do they not have the products that they need, but this is a population that is being used in ways that are, um, you know, kind of criminal. Actually, we think about how we're calling all these essential workers heroes when in fact that many of them are hostages, you know, they're making minimum wage, they're minimum wage jobs and we're clapping for them. We're calling them heroes. We're calling them essential. And at the same time, they don't have a choice. And there's that, like that story in new Orleans, they have uh, the garbage workers went on strike in new Orleans and their solution instead of paying the garbage workers more hazard pay and providing protective equipment, they went ahead and took the prison population and they're forcing them to do the work for even less money. It's a completely, completely broken system. And so you're right. I think that the more that we can rally folks to, to think, at the very least, to consider that this population of people is human. They are not less than human based on their addictions, their mental health issues, and their mistakes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, I mean, I, unfortunately, I think we're going to keep hearing more and more situations like that, and, um, scenarios like that, because if there's an exploited, uh, a workforce to be exploited, people are going to profit off of it and they're going to, they're going to take true. advantage every time. Well, I hope that we, you know, all, as always are able to do a little bit of good by uplifting voices of folks that have gone through impressive transformations like our guest today. Matthew Allen, who's doing pretty amazing work with sold out ministries. And um, I have so many questions. I'm very excited to talk to you. Matthew, are you here? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Awesome. I'm so curious. Your last podcast, of course, we listened to your previous work here, the interview you did with Dave and Vlad. And at that time, you had been out of prison for only five months. You were freshly married. Um very curious where your life has brought you between then and now. Yeah, well, a lot has happened in just a couple of years. It's amazing how uh, God moves, so to speak. So right now I'm actually uh, packing up my house. I just rented it out. Oh, I'm a homeowner, so that's new. I ended up moving nice. down here to New Mexico, and uh, I live with my wife. God had a sense of humor. She was a she's a corrections officer. Um, yeah, we have questions about that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I just recently uh, am on the way to move to Indiana, where I'm gonna be uh, serving with the pastor out there. And we're actually moving on June eighth. So the house we bought, we're renting out. 
and we're uh, on our way to uh, another season of my life, you could call it. Uh, just all over the globe. Portland. So much has happened. I mean, yeah. this started, like, I moved here to New Mexico after I was on the show. I moved to New Me- I finished up my school. I moved down here to New Mexico, like, a couple months later. I mean, I've never seen a house. Like, the buying process usually takes a lot of time. We were in this house within 90 days of me moving down to New Mexico. So we bought a house. We ended up uh, buying a couple. We own a couple vehicles. Um, I went from prison to pastor in months. I ended up becoming a youth pastor, and uh, then I was on the in the process of getting sold out for Jesus Ministries official on pay, the paperwork, right? And uh, we have that official now. It's an official five hundred one three C nonprofit incorporated. It's basically a church with no walls. So and, you uh, do all of your work online. I've- um, we do it. I do. I network online. Um, I'm really. Uh, I go out in the community. I hit the highways and the byways. I try to reach the unreachable, so to speak. And uh, we do. Uh, we have a food pantry out of our house, and uh, we hand out food boxes. Uh, no stipulations. We love people with no stipulations. You don't have to believe in Jesus. We're still gonna love you where you're at and uh, give you food, clothes. Try to meet your needs to the best uh, of our ability. And uh, I've been blessed enough to have a little, you know, a team. We've created a team out here, and it's just a blessing to be able to have people link up and, uh, you know, give people the love of Jesus. You know, what's interesting to me is uh, when when I started kind of getting my, uh, after I got done with my legal situation and started kind of focusing and had kind of uh, tunnel vision on what I wanted, what I wanted to accomplish, uh, things kind of started to fall into place at that point. And I feel like your story is very inspirational in the fact that it almost sounds like instantaneously the second you were released, everything started, everything was in motion, and then you just went with it. Um, would, you, would you say that's correct? Yeah, I mean, um, what do you mean by everything went into motion, I just went with it? Well, I feel like there's no such thing as coincidence sometimes, because when so many things occur I, on a linear line, and in our linear fashion, like for instance, uh, within five months of being released of a 12 year sentence, you were on this radio show and you had yeah. an established ministry. I mean, you were, you were, you were taking classes in theology. You were going to school. Um, you were accepting the community. You had a new wife. You know, everything was kind of, uh, on the fast pace, so to speak, you know, for, for what you had dedicated your life to. Is, yeah. 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 Correct? Yeah. That's correct. And it, you know, what's, a, what's amazing to me is I remember, walk in the yard at Sandy M wondering what my life looked like. Cause you know, in that 12 years, I lost all my immediate family that passed away. So I had nothing. When I paroled, I paroled with a clear plastic bag, a few envelopes, some hygiene. Cause I gave most of my stuff away. And uh, I was wondering like, what am I going to do? And you know, something interesting. I don't know if I, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the last show when I was here, but you know, when I went to my POs that first day to check in, um, I was like in a gray area, he said, because, you know, I thought I wasn't going to a halfway house. I was like, well, the Oxford will take me or something. So I won't be, I won't be screwed, you know? And, uh, when I went in there to talk to him, you know, he was like, well, you don't have no drug charges. And I was like, man, I got eight counts of robbery, one robbing drug dealers. I mean, does that count? And he was like, well, you don't have no like drug offenses, like doing drugs, meth, like possession of meth or whatever. And so I, I can't get you in there that way. And then he said, you know, and you know, um, you're not really high profile anymore because you've been in that, you're an inactive gang member now. 
And so he's like, you're like in a gray area. So I'll give you a few bus tickets for, for TriMet. Um, I'll see you in a week. Good luck. And I was like floored, you know, like what? is crazy like no people no reason no wonder people go back to prison like you if you don't have no help you don't know no better you know yeah what and, other option is there <laughs> exactly you know that's what was my thought i was like dang i'm gonna have to go downtown and do something i'm not, i don't want to do just to come up real quick and you know it's just it was those thoughts were going through my head you know but i was still faithful too in the sense that i was like well lord you know this is the chance you know it's so easy to give somebody else some great Bible verses and encourage them. But when you got to give yourself those Bible verses and encourage yourself, it's, sometimes it doesn't work the same. <laughs> it's not as easy. Give yourself the same pep talks. But, uh, no. But it, so it, that, but it go ahead, Dick. I'm, you're good, Nick. So, Matt, you know, for, for everyone who's listening, Matt had a previous interview on Felony Inc. It's number 17. Totally worth a listen. I'm yeah. really curious, Matt, um, what, what we didn't get into much in your previous interview was, and I don't want to fill the whole podcast with it, but a little bit of your life, you know, eight counts of robbery, previous gang member. This is big stuff. 12 years in prison. That is no small thing. Um, I'm, and your, your immediate family passed away during the time that you're in prison. So I'm really curious if you could just give us a little bit of a rundown on your life you know, before the transformation, tell us a little bit about what brought you to the place where you actually found. Mm -hmm. First, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about what brought you to prison, what brought you to being in gangs, you know, how that worked out for you. And then I'm also curious about that one moment. You know, what was that one transformative moment? What was that Bible verse? What was that person that you met that you were saying, you know, you wanted to say, I want what they have? You know, what was that transformative? Will you take us back just a little bit earlier in your life so that we can yeah. kind of go through some of the suffering so we can understand the transformation? Absolutely. I'll give you my, my quick testimony, so to speak. Um, you know, I, for me, you know, growing up, you know, my mom gave me up when I was a baby. So I went into foster care for the state. My dad was in prison. So I didn't really have uh, the mom and dad at home. And then finally I ended up going with my grandma when I was like, real young but all that um that traumatizes people you know there's always underlying issues that take place so what Absolutely. happened was with you know not having a mom not having a dad you know all that hate that was building up and at the time i didn't realize it like i didn't recognize i was a kid you know i didn't recognize that you know this is why i'm angry all the time because my folks aren't here but uh that led to me becoming a pro you know i got my first felony when i was like 11 for uh, our, uh, our burglary and then I ended up going to juvenile prison in um, Arizona and I was in Phoenix so I was at Adobe Mountain and all these juvenile correctional facilities and then I paroled you know when I was I released when I was like you know what 17 and um, I went to go to Oregon and you know but the problem was is I still wasn't done you know um I was still hurt. I was still had all those underlying issues. They weren't really taken care of. If anything, being locked up didn't help me, especially with, you know, kids and, you know, all those um, hormones and everything going on in that environment, you know. So when I went to Oregon to live with my uncle, um, I just continued the same pattern because that's just what I knew and that's just where I was at. So I ended up moving to Idaho. I got locked up in Idaho 
And then I moved back to Portland to live with my family. And again, I was, you know, involved in gangs and affiliated. And this is your grandparents when you say family. Mm -hmm. Is that your grandparents that you're living with? Yeah, my grandparents. uh, My my uncle lived in Oregon and my grandparents. And uh, so I, I went back to live with my grandparents. After Idaho, I went back to live with my grandparents. And uh, they they ended up moving from Arizona to Oregon. Um, when I got released from Arizona and juvenile, I went to live with my uncle. And uh, so when I go from Idaho back to or- Oregon, I'm still I'm already affiliated. I'm already so far gone, you could say, you know, in my head and the lifestyle that I was living. You know, I just became a product of my environment. You know, being incarcerated, being around, um, you know, Hispanic gangs like I was, and I just got mixed up in it and I got lost in it. And when I, you know, for myself, and I think a lot of people can relate, you know, I don't want to be fake. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it full throttle, 100%, or it's not even worth my time. So when I was a gang member, I was a gang member, full throttle, 100%. You know, I wasn't going to waste my time. That's that, I was all in. And uh, hence why I got 12 years in prison, um, you know, because I was, and I'm blessed that I only got that, truthfully. And so um, I ended up having a kid. And when the kid was, you know, nine months old, I went to prison in, in 2005 and, um, I had like 2005, 2006. And I was, uh, in prison for 12 years and I didn't go to like Multnomah County jail and get saved. Like, that's just not what happened. I was still, you know, doing my program, so to speak. And, uh, it took me, you know, it's, what's funny is, is they offered me a deal when I was fighting my case. And truthfully, I shouldn't have been fighting it. I had witnesses. I was guilty. I was dead. I was dead wrong. And, uh, you know, I feel and I know that God was, you know, working on me then. You know, I mean, his grace was working on me then. And he hardened my heart, you could say, because I should have took the 70 months. Like any any smart guy would have took the 70 months and I denied it. I was like, nah, I'm good. And then I went to trial. And then like right before they were going to find me guilty, they offered me 90 months. The DA was like, let me just, just take 90 months, sign the deal. And I was like, no. And like, dang, everyone done testified on me and everything. And I was just, I still said no. And then they gave me the, uh, they gave me the 12 years. And so, and then I had the five years in Idaho because I had a, I was out on a suspended sentence. So I had 17 years. And, uh, you know, when I look back and you know, I was thinking like, man, what an idiot. I should have just took the 70 months. But I know that, like, if I would have took the 70 months and paroled, I hadn't had a relationship with Jesus yet. If I would have took the 90 months and paroled, I wasn't changed yet. You know, I didn't, I didn't change my life and make that decision until I was, like, nine years into my sentence. It so takes the time into- it takes, doesn't it? Yeah, everyone's different. There's no, no rushing the, the transformation. What was that moment for you where, you know, what was that one moment? What turned you? What was the moment where you were so moved and you had had enough of the way of life that you were living that it really sunk deep into you that you wanted to do things differently. Yeah. So I was in, um, IMU and I was in IMU for two years. And so due to bad decisions, affiliations, they ended up slamming me in IMU. And, uh, what is IMU? Um, intensive management unit. It's basically 23 and a hour. 23 and a half hour lockdown. So you're out 15 minutes for the shower. You're out 15 minutes for a rec yard. That's basically a closet with a cage cage on top. You know what I mean? That you can just see the sky. 
And uh, so I was in, I was there for two years. And in that two years, I realized that I needed to make some different decisions. Like my homeboys quit writing after, you know, six, seven, eight, and everyone forgets about you. You know what I mean? Out of sight, out of mind. And I decided then, I didn't decide Jesus, but I decided then I was going to make a change. So when I got out of IMU, I said, man, I'm done. But of course, I go back to the yard. My homeboys are there. I get reaffiliated, so to speak. I fall back into the pattern. But a few months after I was on Mainline, I was like, you know what? I'm done. Like, what am I doing? I can't do this anymore. And in that, all of a sudden, uh, I quit. I'm sure you guys are familiar quitting and being a gang member in prison is frowned upon. They're not like, oh, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're right. giving you a pass. <laughs> Especially when it comes to the Hispanic culture. The Hispanic culture is a little more, you know, they're going to try to take you out or whatever. But it, this is how God works. Is I never had to PC up. So I, I, uh, I, I stepped away. And as soon as I stepped away, like literally as soon as I stepped away, I was on transport to Snake River. And for you guys to know, um, I was in Norteño, and Snake River is a Sereno yard. So the fact that they sent me to Snake River, most people have been like, dude, what are you thinking? Like, there's probably like 200 Southsiders on every complex at Snake River, you know, one side or two side, three side. And uh, I just went there, you know, and I was like, I'm, I don't care. I'm just going to do my program, just try to lay, lay low. And I was at Snake River for two years, and I had no problems. No issues. Um, okay, maybe a year and a half at Snake River, but I had no issues. But when I hit Snake River, I ran into a black guy who was doing life that I remember before he was a blood. We've been on the yard together. And so familiar face, he pulled me up. He asked me if I was crazy or stupid because he knew that I was in Hortenio before, you know. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, these guys are going to take you out. And I was like, I'm just done, bro. I mean, if it happens, it happens. I'm just going to do my program. And... uh he was like, all right, man. I was like, yeah, bro, maybe you can get me a seat, you know, in the day room. Maybe you can help me out, you know. And he was like, uh, actually, bro, I will, but I'm not a blood no more. I'm a Christian. And what's interesting about this guy is when I knew him before, he was a black Muslim. So he hated whitey. He hated everything. You know, it was all Islam. So it really hit me hard that this black Muslim said he's a Christian. Now, I even told him, I was like, bro, Jesus was white, bro. Like, what's wrong with you? start laughing of course jesus wasn't white but <laughs> you know, was, that was, was my like, first thought <laughs> i was like dude jesus is white bro and he's just like nah bro no and i was just at that time i didn't accept it though i was like hey man don't preach to me that works for you i know how you guys do it so just you know give me my space you know and he was like that's fine you know why don't you believe in god and i went through so many of my the bible's contradictions and all these different reasons why i do not believe and he had an answer, factual, inside of the Bible, outside of the Bible, on every one. And after I d- d- debated this guy for like a few months, I finally was like to the point to where I was like, dang, like this guy, I, if everybody knew this information, everybody would believe in Jesus. Like this is crazy how much factual information is out there. And my last question to him was, is I, I heard someone else ask a Christian and they couldn't answer it was, why aren't dinosaurs in the Bible? So that was my like last question that he answered. And I was just so floored by the fact that this brother had all these answers. And, uh, you so know, I, went Matt, to him. Yeah. I am so excited. I, I <laughs> paused right there 
I'm going to actually have you pause on this cliff edge here, and yeah. uh, we're going to run an ad. Alon, you want to take us out to a quick break? CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Um, Felony Podcast, we're talking to Matthew Allen at Sold Out Ministries. And we were just on the verge of uh, hearing about your transformation, Matthew, with the gentleman that you met at Snake River. If you want to tell me, back up just a little bit with your question, and let's keep going with your uh, story. Very fascinating. Yeah, so... um, Anthony Pickens is his name. He's actually still doing life. He's been in there since he was 15 years old. Um, he was the one who shared Jesus with me. And uh, after I'd asked some questions, so many questions, and been stumped every time because um, he always had an answer, I finally got, remembered that a, a Christian was asked, I heard a Christian ask one time why dinosaurs aren't in the Bible, and they didn't have an answer. So I, was, I remember that question, and I was like, I'm going to get him. So uh, what I did is I looked in a, a concordance, a Bible concordance, and I looked up these, and I went down the list, and there was no dinosaur. And I was like, I got him, man. Dinosaurs have proven those things exist. <laughs> I got this dude. He is booked. And the, just to go back, when I first was debating him, he told me if I could prove to him something was wrong with the Bible, that he would quit reading it. So I was like, I got this sucker. Like, I was so thought I had, I had my head up high. I went out the yard, like, excited that I was going to prove this dude that there was a, there was a flaw. So I go out to the yard. I see him. I'm like, Hey bro, um, I got a question, man. He goes, yeah, what's going on? I was like, do you believe in dinosaurs? He's like, absolutely. And I was like, I got this dude. Yes. And, uh, I was like, Hey, well, uh, why aren't dinosaurs in the Bible, bro? And don't tell me in Genesis where it talks about beasts and all. I want, why aren't dinosaurs in the Bible? And he said, let me ask you a question. Well, every time I debated Anthony and he asked me a question in response to my question, I knew I was in trouble because he always had an, he was walking me into a tr- to an answer. <laughs> so I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And he was like, uh, when do you think the word dinosaur came about? And what is the Bible written in? It's written in Aramaic. It's written in Hebrew. It's written in Greek. Do you think they used the word dinosaur? And I started thinking about it and I was like, oh my goodness, that's a newer word. I'm sure. He's like, let's look and see what it says in the Bible about dinosaurs. And I'm like, all right, let's look up a Leviathan. I'm like, Leviathan, what? And so he took me to Isaiah, and it describes what a Leviathan looks like. And it describes a dinosaur. Like, it gets from the plates on his back to the, the texture of his skin. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is not happening right now. And I left that conversation like, dang, this dude had an answer literally for everything. I mean, I... 
poem. I didn't think Jesus existed. There was not a cross. It was an X. I mean, I tried everything with this brother, and he'd always come back with answers. So from that point, I went back to my cell, and I remember sitting there going, well, I'm going to give this thing a shot. You know, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't even know really what that meant. So I just kind of, like, looked up at my cell, you know, ceiling, closed my eyes, and I was like, you know, hey, God, like, what's up, homie? Like, show me. Like, if you real, like, what's up? I waited. I thought the walls didn't start shaking. Glitter didn't start falling from the ceiling. So I was like, you know, I even peeked a little bit. And I'm like, this is bunk, man. Nothing happened. You know, that I thought at the time. I was like, this is, man, I'm just talking to the ceiling right now, man. I'm going to bed. But something did happen. Like, from that point on, I had a conscience. Like, I remember, like, I had, I had not cared for so many years. And I had all those underlying issues that, were just so heavy on me that I didn't care about nothing. And from that point on, I remember like all of a sudden I had a conscience and I, and I remember like thinking like, what's wrong with me? And I was watching a show on my TV with my cellmate, like American home makeover where they go and fix houses for people who are sick or whatever. I watched that show all the time and I started crying. I hadn't cried in 10 years. So then I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? And my cell, he's like, are you crying? I'm like, Hey, shut up fool. Like, no man, something <laughs> in my eye. You know, and I was tripping though, and I so I signed up for the psych nurse. I signed up for med- sick call. Like, I need some meds. I think I'm institutionalized. Like I'm having a panic attack. Like there's something wrong with me. And uh, I stayed in myself for a couple of days, tripping out because I couldn't understand like where all these emotions were coming from because I had bottled them up and you know pushed them down. And finally, I come out, and Anthony was like, "Hey man, like what's up with you, bro? Like you all right?" I was like, nah, man, I need to get meds, bro. Something's wrong. And I started telling him about it. He starts laughing. And I'm like, yeah, problem? Like, what's up, homie? And he was like, nah, dude, look. It's called the the Lord's, the Holy Spirit's inside of you, man. He's working these things out. Just keep reading your Bible. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is this is supposed to happen? He's like, bro, <laughs> trust me. I was like, all There's right. There's something really powerful about surrender, isn't there? Something really Absolutely. powerful about that moment that you realize that you don't have to carry it all yourself and that you take, you know, it sounds to me like that moment of saying that prayer was just enough opening for you to have that gift of grace, for you to be able to have an opening into your, uh, you know, of insight into your own emotional uh, landscape, right? Your own yeah. finally could feel something. There's something really powerful about gang affiliation for folks that don't have family and to, you know, to actually continue to harden yourself so that you could live a, con- a lifestyle that allowed you to have connection and to have family and to have a sense of belonging. You know, that is yeah. no small thing. And then to walk away from that, to allow yourself then to do something so crazy, right? Like pray to the ceiling, yeah. to just ask, just to just approach a situation with enough curiosity that could give you the opportunity to soften just enough to let that very real emotion flow through. That's that's really brave stuff, Matthew, from where you're coming from to, you know, sit in your cell crying is not... Um, you know, is not a, a show of strength that typically helps folks survive inside prison. So, you know, big right. kudos to that. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, I've been full throttle ever since. Um, you know, you see a lot of full throttle guys in prison that parole and, 
you know, I've been down 12 years, so I've seen dudes come and go a few times. You know, after the fourth time, I don't even want to talk to them anymore because I'm like, man, I haven't even got one chance. You keep getting out. So how long back. were you in prison before, like between this, this moment of grace, this clarity, you crying, you feeling something, you realize that this is a path you want to walk down. How long are you still in prison before you get out? Like, like three years, three years about, about three years. So I, I, I got saved like nine years in. Um, I gave my life to Jesus nine years in. A few months later, I get a letter from Idaho and they say, hey, your suspended sentence is dropped. You don't have no more warrant. And I'm like, what? All of a sudden, my counselor is like, hey, you want to go minimum? <laughs> what, what's that mean? You know, and uh, they sent me to Santa Am, and uh, that's kind of, yeah, I had a few years, and I went to, I just remember going to Santa Am, but I kept diligent in my faith, man. I just, I knew that something took place. I knew that, you know, Jesus was real. I was like, man, you can't, you couldn't convince me that it didn't happen because of the experience and the, the life change and even other people that known me, you know, running into people that I'd done time with you know, in 2006 and seven, when I went to OSP or when I was at EO before and like all the prisons I've been, I went on the, you know, I went on the train when I first fell, I was going everywhere. And, you know, the people that knew me and seen me, um, they were shocked. You know, they saw that like, man, something happened to this dude. They might not have credited to God or whatever, but they could definitely see the change, you know? And, uh, and then as I released, like I said, I just continued to be faithful um, kind of left off right there, but you know, the guy who picked me up, um, from Sandy M and gave me a ride in my POs didn't really know me, barely knew me at all. And, uh, when I went out to the car, I told him to take me downtown. I was like, Hey, take me downtown by the Salvation Army, you know, and I had, you know, bad ideas of what I was going to do to come up. And, uh, he ended up, you know, I'm not taking you downtown. I'm just going to adopt you. And they took me home. Remember, I paroled five days before Christmas. So right. he took took me home, adopted me, put me on his, gave me a car. I was on their insurance. I mean, just so much took place. Like it was just so surreal because these folks didn't know me. You know, all I knew was which I'm sure they Googled my name. You know, or like you know, looked me up. They probably like on papers like, dang, this dude has twelve class A felons. <laughs> I was like, I don't want this dude coming home to me. You know what I mean? But they still, you know, were uh, I guess faithful. And loved me like it was no stipulations. And I think that's why I'm so sold out for Jesus and do the same. Like, I don't, I love people with no stipulations. You don't have to go to my church. You don't have to be a so under my ministry. You don't have to just, just let me know you need help and I'm going to show up and help you. And I'm going to let, you know, God do what he does. So how, just out of curiosity, how did you come up with the name sold out ministry? Is that, what's the significance of that? Because I'm sold out, man. I'm sold out full throttle. It's just like, you know, it happened. I was like, man, I used to tell people, I'm, I'm a sold out Jesus freak, homie. Like, what's up? And uh, I went from sold out Jesus freak to sold out for Jesus ministries. And uh, that's what that's what it's, uh, that's what it is. And it started off as sold out ministries. But then when I got it on paperwork, I put sold out for Jesus ministries. So... Um, that's, that's how it is. I used to just introduce people because when I, when, you know, towards the end of my sentence and then when I'd hit the, when I hit the streets, um, I just told people like, Hey man, I'm sold out for Jesus, homie. Like, I'm a certified Jesus freak. What's up? 
and uh, hitting people up at the max stops and bus stops. And if you gave me too much eye contact in the store, I was coming for you. And uh, <laughs> I'm I'm still that way. You know, I, I love just to share the hope that's found in Jesus because, uh, you know, especially in this epidemic, pandemic we have right now, a lot of people are, you know, worried and fearful and, you know, God will give you that peace. If you seek him, man, he'll give you that peace that, you know, it says in Philippians that it surpasses all understanding. And uh, I lean on that because that's what, you know, that's what helps me. And I'm not speaking from opinion. I'm not speaking because my parents were believers. Cause they weren't. I'm not speaking because I was taught that. Um, I'm speaking from experience. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. Real recognize real, you know? And I recognize this is real. Of course, man. And it's kind of an interesting time right now with the pandemic in terms of uh, there's not really allowed to have worship or meetings of groups of people. So um, we do something different kind of- at my church. It's uh, I, I'm part of Elevate Ministries Albuquerque. And uh, what we do at our church is we do pull up and preach. You pull up in your cars. You don't got to get out. And we set up the thing and we just give you Jesus, man. We do worship and preach. And, uh, man, it's amazing how many people are pulling up in their cars and listening to the word of God that probably didn't do it before this pandemic happened. You know, I see a lot of new faces and, you know, um, it's really big, actually. The pull up and preach idea that, you know, God put on our hearts, it's just been a blessing. It's really beautiful that you have a direct experience that you're able to transmit to other people. We we really, without... Like you said, you know, without stipulations that you get to have um, this opportunity to provide comfort to folks who desperately need comfort, who desperately are care- who are carrying a burden that they desperately need to unload, right? To be able to unload to a force that's greater than them. And that's a really, really beautiful thing to devote your life to. I'm really, you know, kudos for that. It takes a great deal of courage and faith is no joke. So, you know, kudos to that. Um, so many other questions, but I definitely want to fit in before we get, uh, before we run out of time. Please tell us how you ended up marrying a corrections officer. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's God in itself, you know. Um, I paroled and someone introduced me to something called Facebook. And, um, I met her on Facebook and, you know, Which I didn't was know. Which probably brand new to you, right? 12 years in prison. You probably yeah. had a great deal of transition you had to do just to understand the new world of technology and social media. Forget about it. For I'm still learning. Like, there's just so much that goes in with this smartphones and smart whatever. I got a smart TV and it just amazes me. I can push a button and tell it what channel I want to go on. Like, what's going on? <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, so I met her on Facebook probably, I'd say, a month or two after I, I released. And uh, I started talking to her. And uh, when you know, you know. A lot of people, though. So I started talking to her. I was like, man, I'm going to marry this woman. And, you know, when I asked her, I, you know, I thought she, was probably, she probably thought I was crazy. I thought she was going to think I was crazy, and I she probably did. But I was like, hey, man, I, I, I know you're going to be my wife. So let's just cut, let's just cut it. And let's just get married. And uh, I was shocked when she's like, okay. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to talk to my PO. I'm going to get a, I'm a permissions, out-of-state permission slip so I can come see you. And uh, I got it all approved on my PO, and I flew down here to New Mexico, Albuquerque, and I married her. 
And I came back because I had to finish school and I had to work on what I was going to do to make it permanent to come out here to New Mexico and obey all the rules, you know? And so I, uh, yeah, so I married her 30 days, I met her a couple months and I married her 30 days later. And I remember before I flew out here to marry her, my partners that I did time with, one of them did 15 years and a couple other did a lot of time. And they're like, Matt, you did 12 years, bro. Slow down. Like, bro, get, get, you know, go out there and like experience life a little bit. And I was like, bro, I just know. Like, dude, all right. And now, you know, we've been, we're, we just had our two year anniversary. We just had a baby almost a year ago. Yeah, yeah, it's been a blessing. Like I said, we own a house. Um, we have a 2015 Dodge Journey. I own a Toyota uh, pickup truck. I just bought a motorcycle. We own a Chevy car. The motorcycle, car, and Toyota are paid for. Um, we're renting our house out. I'm going to uh, go to Indiana, Union City, and serve with Pastor Richard Collins. And we have a house out there we're buying. I mean, it's just crazy the favor that I've been that God has shown me when we're when I when you're diligent. But when I found out she was a corrections officer, I remember thinking in my head like this has to be God because I don't like cops. You know, <laughs> even though I was bleeding Jesus, I've always had that mentality like you know us against them. Um. So and I was you know it's, that's I'm sure you guys might be able to relate a little bit because I watched a couple of your shows and I know you guys you know have experience with being locked up before. And you already know kind of the the idea, you know. I grew up thinking it's us against them. And whether yeah, you're a sure. CEO or a sheriff or a police officer or a security guard, you're a cop, you know. And my dad used to tell me growing up, only good cops are dead cop. So I was just having that in my head all my life. So it was a trip. I knew it was Jesus. You know, just the fact that I fell in with the CEO, it has to be Jesus. Like, that's not normal. <laughs> not for me. So, that's, yeah. It's fascinating. And she's a juvenile, she was a juvenile corrections officer. So she works, uh, for the juveniles. And, uh, she's now a, she's still a state employment. She works for the Department of Health. So with this COVID-19, you know, she's pretty busy. Yeah. But, uh, as we're moving to Indiana, it's kind of, I chuckle to myself, but she just applied for the sheriff's department and has, she's going to go over there and have an interview. So I kind of chuckle, you know, like, nah, I'm really marrying a cop now. I went from a CO to a real cop. <laughs> Your theme here is loving people without stipulation, right? And so, Absolutely. you know, and on Peer on Felony Inc., we're like, let's humanize the voices of people that are living on the edge. Let's help people understand. And for folks that have been incarcerated, like you're talking about, there's another side to that story, right? For us to come out and for us to actually love unconditionally and realize that everyone is human you know, you're living yeah. it. You're saying this particular group of people that, yeah, is notoriously the folks that people in the justice system hate, have a legitimate hate for. There's no room for hate in life. And it seems like you've been given a great gift. She also is deeply human and worthy of love. It's really quite, um, quite beautiful. He's, I love uh, these stories. Absolutely. I, I forgot to say too, it's kind of funny. Her family, like uh, her brother is a captain. His name's Captain Trujillo here in Las Lunas. He's a cop. Her, his wife or his fiance is a cop. Like this, I married a whole family of cops. But um, it's it's all to God's glory. <laughs> God had a sense. Do they accept you pretty readily? Absolutely. That's the thing that kind of amazed me. Like being around this side of the fence that I'd never really been around before. Like I said, I remember. I even think back, right, just real quick. It's kind of funny, but I remember thinking back, like, every time I'd be pulled over, I'd give them an attitude because I didn't like them. 
And like a lot of times they probably would have gave me a warning, but I had such a bad attitude, you know? And now being around them, I realized like, man, these people believe like I believe. Like they tell jokes, they're real, you know what I mean? Like they're not as bad as I thought. I'm not saying that there aren't some out there that abuse their privileges, you know? Because there is. But I realized that they're not all bad and it's so easy to do the shotgun approach. You know what I mean? You have a bad experience with a, we'll just say a black person next to you, you know, you don't like black people. You have a bad experience with a cop next thing you know, you think they're all bad. And, uh, that's not the, that's not reality, right? Right. It's 100% true. Um, we're, we're just winding down a little bit. Uh, I had just basically two more questions real quick. Uh, first yeah. off, I saw on your Facebook page that you're promoting, uh, DIPG Awareness Day, which is May 17th. Uh, yes. For those who don't know, DIPG is diffuse intrinsic plantain glioma, which is the leading cause of childhood brain tumor deaths. Uh, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, so um, Sold Out for Jesus Ministries is uh, just about to launch in Houston, Texas. And the family there that are going to launch it, um, the husband has that DIPG. He has that brain tumor or whatever in his head, and there's no cure for it. And so, uh, he has to go do testing every month. And so, uh, I support it because I support him, but I also support it because this dude's amazing. They gave this guy five years to live and it's been over five years. And he wakes up. Have you met this brother? Um, they're, uh, Cassie and Robert Ballinger. If you met Robert Ballinger, you would not know this dude could not wake up tomorrow. Like he has so much joy. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the only thing I can credit it to. But uh, that's why I put that on my Facebook page, and I fully support it because I've never even heard of it. You know what I mean? Like, what's yeah. that? But, uh, yeah, he has it. They gave him five years to live, and this dude's still living, and it's been five years. So, wow. So, uh, on that note, um, do you have anything else you'd like to promote, anything else coming up? Obviously, you have the big move coming up. Uh, just anything you'd like to plug right now, and now's the time. Yeah, I just, you know um, – if anybody wants to check out my website, learn more about what we're doing and what we're continuing doing, it's uh, all lowercase. It's www.sold, S-O-U-L-E-D, out, O-U-T, the number four, Jesus.com. So uh, you can check out my website. You can see what we're doing. Um, uh, just, you know, I'm, I want to thank you guys. You know, like I said, I've been watching your, I listen to your shows a lot especially lately as I was uh, going to do this one. I want to just thank you guys. I, th- I want to thank you guys for what you guys do. You know, it's a blessing that you guys are, you know, shedding a positive light on inmates, convicts, whatever you want to call them. Um, Cause a lot of, you know, they got a negative, just like cops have a negative view in a lot of people's eyes. So do inmates. So I, I just appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, I love my church, Elevate Ministries, Albuquerque. I love my future church, um, Grace Community Fellowship in Union City, Indiana. And uh, I just want to thank you guys again for uh, allowing me this opportunity just to testify about God's amazing grace and uh, um, just speak life into your guys' show. Thank you very much, man. Great guest as always. Appreciate having you. Once again, Minister Matt Allen from Sold Out Ministries. Yeah. Um, and uh, look forward to having you on again. And if you want to hear more from Matt Allen, you can check out the website or go to check out uh, episode 17 of Found the End Podcast. On that note, yeah. thank, you know, thank you guys. Thank you, Meg, Alan. Thank uh, you so it. much, Matt. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, I appreciate you guys. I just thought of one thing. Let me add one thing. 
I'm launching. Sure. I'm planning my own. I'm planting my own church next year. So uh, be on the lookout. Maybe next time I'm on the on the show, I'll actually have my own church. Um, so that's next year. I plan on launching a church in Dayton, Ohio. It's only 40 minutes away from Union City, Indiana, where I live. It's right on the southeast border of Indiana, Ohio, where I'm moving. Uh, I plan on launching a church in Dayton, Ohio, next year. So maybe next time I'm on the show, you guys will be talking to me about how my church is going. Yeah, we'd love to check in and see how that's going, man. It sounds great. Absolutely. And on that note, we're going to be signing out. Remember to tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. at StartupRadioNetwork.com. And me and Meg will see you next week. Stay safe and stay indoors. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you can easily control how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Felony Inc. sent you and get $150 credit. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.